Well, today we are going to talk about time management, and nothing puts us under pressure more than talking about how we use our time. And this is hopefully not going to be one of those messages you walk out feeling guilty about, but hopefully it's going to be challenging. Challenging on how we deal with the pressure of all the demands. In fact, this year, Jack Ma, who is the CEO of Alibaba Corporation in China, he's a billionaire, he made the news by declaring to the world that anyone who wants to work for him and his e-commerce company needs to get used to 996. Start at 9 a.m., you work to 9 p.m., and you do it six days a week. That's just the culture, 996. And if you have any other expectation, go apply somewhere else, he said. And it may not be 996, but it feels the pressure of unlimited demand that we all deal with. Unlimited demands for our time, unlimited demands for our energy, unlimited demands for our money. There's just constant demand. And dealing with your, your management of your time specifically is kind of like doing a, a house remodeling project, right? It's just unlimited. You say, no, we're just going to remodel the kitchen this time. And then it starts getting remodeled, and you're like, well, man, the living room looks like a dump now. We might as well go ahead and paint that as well. Well, the half bath now, in between the two, and you end up painting everything because you have unlimited demand. You have limited time and energy to manage the project. So I want to propose to you a metaphor for thinking about time management is that I need to decide, I need to choose actually, I need to choose what rooms am I not going to paint? What rooms must I personally paint? I can't outsource this one. I've got to be involved in this one. And how much do I want left over? How much leftover energy do I want? Time do I want? Money do I want? At the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year. And we've got to make those choices before we start rolling. And the reason I want this for you is because if you don't choose what rooms you're not going to paint, if you don't choose where you're going to spend your time, if you don't choose how much you want left over, I promise you, life will make those choices for you. And it's simply about putting you under pressure, not trying to organize your life in a way that makes you your very best. So let's look at that together. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at what, what rooms you choose not to paint, right? So the bottom line is there's unlimited demand in our family, in our marriage, and in our workplace. And, and if you think, well, I'm just going to go really hard one place, and hopefully I'll have some left over, you might say, well, I'm going to be a really, really good mom. And so you spend your time, paint, 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 I want to be a really good mom. And so you're being a really good mom. At the end of the day... You just realize, wow, I got involved in everything. I did everything. I'm going to get the gold star husband uh, or mom award or dad award. And then it's time to spend some time with your spouse. And you're like, whew. And it's not that I didn't want to be a good spouse. It's just that there was unlimited demand in being a mom. And I ended up cheating being a good wife or husband simply because I didn't choose to spend less paint here so I'd have some left over here. Same thing's true of your career. You say, you know what? The room I'm going to remodel is the kitchen. It's the most important one. And I'm going to build my career, and I'm going to advance, and I'm going to get as much money as I can, as much influence as I can, as much territory as I can, and you are going to do a fantastic job at that. But the roller may not have much left over when it comes 
to being the kind of father I want to be. Or maybe to be able to build any kind of decent friendships. I just didn't have any time for friendship, and I'm 50. I didn't have time for any recreation, and I certainly didn't have time for any rest. See, if you don't choose what you're not going to do, the one thing you're doing will suck all of your time and energy. That room that you're painting so hard and there'll be nothing left over for the other rooms you say are important. You might say, but Chad, I'm too busy. Here's a challenging question. Next time you say you're too busy, just say to yourself, it's not a priority. It's both convicting and freeing. Hey, when's the last time you and your spouse have been on a date night? Oh, we're just really busy. No, no, no. It's just not a priority. On the other hand, hey, my dad for many, many years didn't go fishing. He loves fishing. He's, he's retired now. He's fishing all the time. But for about a 10-year period, hey, when's the last time you've been fly fishing, Ross? Well, it's been a long time. Why? During this season, it's not a priority. I've put that on hold. I'm not going to paint or use my energy during that time because this is where I'm focused. Have you chosen where you're not going to paint? I don't know if you've ever read some of the leadership conversations uh, Jeff Bezos had about Amazon. It's one of the things he realizes was wasting time in his organization was meetings. There were so many unproductive, unproductive, inefficient, waste of most people in the room's meetings. So he made a policy many, many years ago. No PowerPoint in meetings ever at Amazon. He said when people come into the organization, they've decided what they're not going to do. We're not going to waste time on PowerPoint presentations. So when you come into a meeting, the first thing you find out is every person's handed a six-page narrative summary of where we are, where we're going. And for the first 30 minutes of the meeting, every person sits down and reads the six-page narrative prepared by the person in charge of the meeting. And then after 30 minutes of silence, reading and contemplating, they have a robust discussion. Not sentences, not bullet points. He decided what they're not going to do so he could set the pace for what they were going to do. What rooms are you not going to spend energy on during this time in your life? What, what rooms are you not going to spend time or money on during this season of your life in light of your other priorities? There's a guy in the Bible named Moses. And maybe you've heard of Moses, the Ten Commandments guy or the Cross the Red Sea guy. You may not believe that he really heard from God, really talked to God on the mountain, and really bought, brought down some, some you know, tablets from God. But if you believe it or don't, even if you don't believe it, it makes the story even more powerful. I think it really did happen, but look what happens here. Moses has just gone up, got the Ten Commandments, God has spoken to him, he's come down, and he's now trying to manage somewhere between 500,000 to 2 million people. You talk about unlimited demand for energy, resources, protection, food, wandering around in the desert. And he is wearing himself out. And his father-in-law, Jethro, shows up and basically says, Guys, Moses, you're in trouble. Here's what he says. Moses said to his father-in-law, Yeah, but it's all good stuff I'm doing. These are, these are important rooms I'm painting. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one another. So Moses' father-in-law, who, who may not even believe, probably doesn't even believe in his God. Yet he has life experience that Moses, the guy who got the Ten Commandments, needs. And Moses is able to humbly, though he's heard from God directly, hear from his father-in-law. You ever try, try to take, take advice from your father-in-law? You've got to be pretty humble. Look what his father-in-law says. 
the thing that you do is not good. He's getting criticized by your father-in-law. But I think it's gentle. Moses, I'm worried about you. The thing you're doing is not good. Both you and these people who are with you are going to wear yourselves out if you keep up this pace. For this thing is too much for you, and you're not able to perform it by yourself. Unlimited rooms to paint. You need to choose which rooms you're not going to paint. He goes on, he says, and here's what I want you to think about. Here's how I want you to, the lens by which I want you to think about your time. Moreover, you shall go from judging and being involved in every little detail. Instead, you're going to be in the selection business. I want you to spend your time in the recruitment business. Recruit and select from all the people, able men. People who are ethical, they fear God, they're men of truth, they, don't, they hate covetousness. And place them over the rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. But every small matter... You're not involved in that. That's a room you don't paint. You recruit people, you train people to take care of the tens and the hundreds and thousands, but you don't paint the small stuff. You spend your time on recruitment and training. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden for you. You've gone from every room needs to be painted by me, every small legal matter I've got to deal with. You need to stop painting those rooms and get into the recruitment training business. And you're not going to have time to train and recruit until you stop painting some of those other issues. Have you decided where you're not going to spend your time, energy, and money as an organization, as a family? We don't do that right now during this season. How many times have you talked to organizations who say yes to everything and they're bad at everything? I mean, are you at your best when you're operating your marriage with no energy? Right? Are you? Is your organization at its best when nobody has the best creative ideas because they're empty? Are you at your best when there's just time, you just everything, you're always behind and this is how you feel, this is how you come to me. So people feel loved and cared for and honored when that's how you're managing your time. No. You're not doing your best work. You're not being your best person. And isn't it true that if you don't decide what you're not going to do, all of your energy gets poured into low-priority bureaucracy and busyness that's not advancing yourself, it's not advancing the organization, it's not advancing the goals. Do you know what your mission-critical outputs are? Like if you don't put your energy, time, and money into these mission-critical outputs, everything else falls apart. If you don't have a list of your mission-critical outputs, the rooms you must paint, you're going to get sucked into all kinds of things that drain, into low-priority things, rooms that matter, but they're not the best use of your time. Gordon MacDonald uh, had a very, very successful career as a nonprofit leader, writing books and speaking engagements, pouring out time and energy all the time. Until about 20 years ago when... As a Christian leader of a nonprofit, he had an affair and everything blew up. 20 years of real building trust, 20 years of looking at how he managed his time and energy and the way in which he got off base. He said, what I realized is that unmanaged time always flows toward your weaknesses. Unmanaged time always flows toward perceived emergencies. And a woman called and said, my marriage is in trouble. I got to see you this afternoon. Well, okay, well, how long has this been going on? Five years. Okay, well, could I see you next week? Well, sure, I, I just had this afternoon early uh, open because my kids got an after-school activity. 
Oh, a few questions often determine if something really is an emergency. And Gordon McDonald began to rebuild trust, rebuild his whole life, actually, to the point which he's back in leadership with a strong marriage and a totally new view of looking at life. He spent so much time writing books and building exciting things, he didn't have time left over of what he said mattered. He started pouring his energy into things, the rooms that mattered. Maybe you've read the book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin. He said, if you want to be a linchpin in your organization, a critical juncture, the, the we, can't, we can't move forward as an organization without somebody like this. He said, linchpins use the word no in two ways. Either a linchpin says no, never, like he never says no, yes, yes, yes to everything. And linchpins get it all done in your go-to. That's one way a linchpin uses the word no. He said, but the really wise linchpins say no all the time. Because a linchpin's willing to disappoint you in the present. No, I can't do that. Because I want to delight you in the future. Because if I spend time on this and this and this, I'm not going to have time for that. And what I'm putting together is going to move our organization forward. It's going to advance the things we're doing in a way that you're going to be incredibly delighted. If you want to be a linchpin, you've got to decide what rooms you don't paint. In fact, there's a habit that God put in place for his people so they wouldn't be cornered, painting themselves in the corner. It came from the book of Leviticus. He said in the book of Leviticus, I want my people, when you look at your life, I want you to not harvest every bit of your fields. Here's how he says it. You shall not, look what you're not going to do. you know what you're not do? Don't glean from your vineyard every single grape. Don't gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And when you reap the harvest land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. So again, in an agricultural community, he said, I want you to leave the corners. There's certain things I don't want you to spend your time and energy on. Why? So you'll have extra money for the poor. So that, 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 that sucking every bit of ounce of profit out of every single corner, you have a little bit more time because you didn't need every single ounce out. And you're going to have the energy that you spend a little less time getting all the corners to your field. Decide what you're not going to reap so that you can have time to reap the rest. What are you not going to do this week, this year, this season? Number two, what rooms must you paint? I've got it. I can't outsource this. I can't move this. This is the thing I've got to do. This is where I've got to spend my energy. Do you know where you have got to spend your energy for your marriage, your family, and your company, and your department to be successful? Because you've got unique strengths, don't you? And some of you are really good at recruitment, and yet you never have time for recruitment because you're buried under busyness, doing other things that are not mission critical, not going to advance the bottom line. Some of you are fantastic at putting financial systems together and thinking not in it, but on it. What could we do and where could we go? But there's no time for vision casting and strategy because you're stuck in it. See, but I uniquely bring this strength to the table. I uniquely bring this to my team, my ability to bring in new business, to find new territories. But are you spending time on that? Like, no, I'm not. What rooms must you uniquely spend your time in to advance your marriage, to advance your family, and advance your company? Because that's what Jethro says to Moses here. Look what he says. There's things you, Moses, uniquely can do. And it's not the small matters. Listen now to my voice. I'm going to give you counsel that God will be with you. 
Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. You get the tough stuff, the challenging stuff, the complicated stuff that nobody else can figure out. And you shall teach them. You need to be in the teaching business, the recruiting business and the teaching business. Better for you to train 70 people and all the influence you can have by training 70 people than to have you doing every single little thing that's going to wear you out and everyone else. You need to recruit. You need to teach the statutes and the laws and show them, model for them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. What is it you uniquely bring to the table that that time, if you could spend more time on that, it would advance everything so much more if you could get rid of some of the other rooms? What rooms must I uniquely spend my time, energy, and money on? I told you about a month ago about a story of my wife and I going to to Maui for our 25-year anniversary. And while we're in Maui, there's this book called Maui Revealed that we use for the whole tour. It's just an amazing book. My wife ends up sitting by the guy who wrote the book. I told you that part of the story. But he said, you know, at 50, what I realized is I was taking brands and making them a little bit better, finding ways to make a little bit spinoff or a digital version of it. But I decided I was going to go and start new cities we'd never done before. So I went to Las Vegas, and he wondered, I wonder if I still got it at 50. And he did a whole new book for Vegas that just turned into an incredible product launch. He said, you know what? I've been doing lots of managing and refining and tweaking of products we already have. I need to be spending my time going to brand new cities, finding brand new experiences, and finding brand new products. He was so energized by doing it in one city, he said, I decide that's how I'm going to spend the next five to ten years. I've got to move some stuff off my place because I uniquely in this company can bring to bear some skills to go into new cities and create new products. But you're not going to suddenly have 40 hours to go work on a new city and a new product unless you say that's how I uniquely can use my gifts to leverage the organization and the vision and mission of the organization. What rooms must you uniquely paint? You can't outsource your spousing. You can't outsource your parenting. At least not all aspects of it. Some aspects you can. But what are the things you uniquely need to do and invest in? Third, how much do you want left over? Have you ever thought to yourself about prioritizing margin in your time, margin in your energy, margin in your money? You probably have with money. You've had financial planners who say, listen, if you want to have retirement, you've got to, how much do you want left over? Have you ever thought about the same thing when it comes to your energy and your time? See, I must choose how much I want left over. Why? Because painting harder, working harder, putting in more hours, won't make up for painting fuller. You do better work when you're full of life and full of energy and full of ideas, right? You do your best work. You do more efficient work when you're full. But if you don't choose how much you want left over, you're not going to be full for your spouse, for your company, for yourself. Let's go back to that passage in Leviticus. Again, look what he says. When you reap the harvest of the land, when you're at work, doing work stuff, don't wholly reap the corners Leave some left over. What a waste! Maybe, maybe. Don't wholly reap the corners. 
nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. I want you to leave some aside. Have some left over. Okay? We do this financially. I want to have some money left over so that we can go on vacation several times a year. We want to spend and maybe buy a kind of house that allows us to have money left over to be very, very generous in our giving. We want to be able to give large percentages of money away. That's not going to happen unless you decide how much you want left over. We want to have money so that we can be prompted that maybe God might have us involved in an adoption or or being involved in something. Are you going to organize your money in such a way that there's money left over? The reason they didn't glean the corners of the field is so that when the poor came in, they would say, listen, if you need some food, you got to work, but the food's out there. I left the corners, some left over, to provide for the people. How about your time? When you're rushing from meeting to meeting to meeting... Have you ever been in a meeting and you think, I wish the person who led this meeting would have spent 10 minutes thinking about this meeting? Because what a waste of time. We're having a meeting because we're supposed to have a meeting. What if you put 10 minutes before a meeting where you actually thought about the meeting and what's the best use of the 10 to 20 people in the room? What if you put a little bit of creativity, a little bit of investment, a little bit of what's the best way to utilize this time? But if you don't have time left over and if you don't manage time, I've got to put time before my meetings to think about it. I've got to have time yearly to strategize where we're going and why we're going and why we're doing what we're doing. If you don't put time and have time left over to work on it, it's always going to pour it out because you're working in it all the time. Do you want to have time at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year? to go on date nights with your spouse? Do you want to have time when you can be emotionally available to listen to a son or daughter tell a story without saying, get to a quick, get to a quick, get to a quick? No, Dad, I'll wait to when you can listen slower. Is margin, prioritizing the time you want left over, even part of your decision-making matrix? And how about your energy? If you pour out all your energy... By 6 p.m., like it's all gone. Are you going to wonder why there's no energy left for something you say is very important in your marriage? Or do you need to think, as I prioritize my time this week, this month, I want to make sure that I do great hard work, but I am going to have some left over for the other things that matter. And do you know how to fill your bucket? See, it's one thing to know your mission-critical outputs, but the thing is, the reason working harder won't make up for, for working fuller is because if you don't fill this bucket, do you know what fills you? What fills you with creativity? What fills you with life? What fills you with, with, with you'd be able to do your best work? And most people, they're really good at time management, but they're not really good at input management. Have you organized your week, your month, your year so that you have inputs coming in to fill up your energy bucket, to fill up your time bucket? Do you know what fills you up, especially if you have high demand on your output? Working harder will not make up for working fuller. I remember we bought this like 1940s house, 12-story, it's not 12-story, 12-foot ceilings and the crown molding and the whole bit, just beautiful, but it all had to be painted. And so... My wife and I were painting it, so we spent the first three weeks painting it. And I remember, you know, I'd have the paint tray here, but again, 12-foot ceilings, big ladder, so I'd get the thing all lathered up with paint. 
And I'd start painting. So I'd get over there, I'm painting, and I'm up on the ladder painting, and I'm painting, and I'm starting to run out of paint. <sighs> but I don't want to go all the way down the ladder, all the way to the other side of the room, where I can put the paint back on it. So what am I doing? I'm going to get all the paint out of this thing. So I'm like up there, and I'm pushing this thing, and I'm up there. I, mean, I did this for like for, for four uh, days in a row, and I'm pushing, pushing. I'm going to get every bit of paint out of this. I think I can cover the rest of this wall. And I'm pushing, pushing. I am working hard. There is no lack of effort. There's no lack of hard work. For the next week, I couldn't feel my wrist from all that pressure. And I ended up having to do two coats. Why? Because it didn't cover as well. And it wasn't a lack of working hard. It wasn't a lack of effort. It wasn't a lack of desire. It was a lack of fullness. If the paint roller isn't full of paint, you're not going to have as good coverage. And the same thing is true of you. There is not always a correlation between the amount of time you spend on something and the amount of, of excellence that comes out of it. But there is a correlation between the excellence that comes out of something and how full you were to do your best work. And that's where somebody introduced me to this product. Oh, 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 oh. oh, and I started using this. I saved my wrist. And I realized that this product allowed me to paint fuller because I had a little cool button I could push. And I could start painting. And I would see that the paint was coming on and doing well. And I would realize, you know what? I was still painting hard. Wasn't killing my wrist. Oh, a little fuller. And we could keep going. And I realized that my ability to paint with one coat and my ability to do the best work and the most coverage was all about, is the paint full? And I'm not sure that most of my life I have prioritized being full so I can do my best work. Do you know what it is that fills you up? Creativity. Energy. Because don't you do your best work interacting with people? Your best work with the best creative ideas in marketing. When you are filled up emotionally, when you're filled up with energy. And sometimes it's like, you know, you get to the end of this thing being full. It's like, oh, it takes so long. I got to go. I got to find the paint. I got to stick a little slurpy thing in here and pump it back in. It takes like five minutes. That's five minutes I could have been painting. Yeah. But sometimes we need to stop to fill up so we can do our best work. So you got to make three decisions. And those decisions are not just what are you not going to paint, what do you uniquely need to paint, but how are you going to paint fuller by deciding how much energy, time, and money do you want left over at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of your emptiness season of life. So here's the question. So, Chad, that makes so much common sense. Why can't I do it? Chad, I know why you can do it. You're a pastor. You like work one day a week. It's got to be easy for you. I'm talking about like real people who have a real job. How do we do it? Why can't we do it? Well, it's really interesting what, what Leviticus says. It actually connects this idea of, of the corners of your field to a, a religious word called idols. It says, do not turn to idols, other gods besides God, nor make for yourself molded gods, things you make to be your God. For I am the Lord your God. And then it goes directly from this idle conversation into, for when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. If you make success your God, it will not ever prioritize margin. 
If you make success your God, it will never say, but don't forget about a good marriage. If you make something besides God your God, your functional core, it will drive you into the ground. I'll tell you a classic example of this that I saw. Julia Funt runs a company called White Space, and they do consultation with companies on how to actually work on time management and to create white space to think, white space to perform, white space to be filled up in your, in your company and in your life. And she says, they studied multiple companies on multiple platforms. They found that every time you get up to 50 employees, for every 50 employees, when you look at the strengths and the time spent with emails and meetings, there is $1 million of waste per 50 employees in almost every company they've studied. Now, that would get your attention. Maybe we shouldn't just do business as usual if every 50 employees are resulting in $1 million of waste. And she said there were four factors. She didn't use the word idols, but notice how these are idols. These are things that are good that get out of control that don't lead to rest and productivity. She said the four thieves are drive, which is important to every organization. You've got to drive, you've got to accomplish, you've got to win. But when drive turns to overdrive, it doesn't say based on the resource we have. If we drive too far, we're going to grow too fast, we won't have the infrastructure. When drive turns to overdrive, it will drive you into the ground. That's an idol, overdrive. Two, excellence is a great thing. We all want to be excellent. We want to serve people well. But when excellence turns to perfection, you always, always, always could edit it one more time. You always, always, always could have looked at it one more time, gone over it one more time. At what point is it excellent versus perfect? Because you can chase perfection and it is unlimited supply of rooms. You can keep painting and painting and painting and painting. And I tell you, it will never be perfect. And when you decide the difference between excellence and perfection, you might find rest. Because perfection is an idol that will never let you leave extra energy at the end of the day. Information. Information is good. We make good decisions with information. But haven't you ever gotten to the place where information becomes information overload and it becomes analysis paralysis? We need more data, more data, more data. But what point do we just need to decide? When information, because information overload, it becomes your God, it becomes your idol, you will never have margin for time energy because you just need more, more, more data, and there's no stopping it. And we get to one of mine, activity. I love activity. But sometimes activity becomes overactivity. Should we do less this year? Well. Should we do less better than doing more poorly? See, when activity turns into overactivity it doesn't necessarily become the best use of time, energy, and money. It's just, let's just do more. What if we did less well? And how many of us have had business consultants or in our own company, we realized that 80% of our revenue was coming from 20% of our products. So what did we do? We said, why don't we focus on growing the 20% of the products that's getting 80% of our revenue, and let's outsource or get rid of these other time wasters. Let's decide what not to paint, right? Four thieves. What the Bible might call idols. Four things that will never give you rest. The Bible says this in Ephesians, or Colossians rather. It says, put to death evil desires. But if you look at the word for evil desires, it's not the word evil. The word is over-desires. Over-desires. Magnified desires or excessive desires. When you take a good thing, like information or activity, and make it an ultimate thing, you're never going to have rest. So here's my challenge to you. Can you answer those three questions today? I can't answer it for you. But based on where you are, what responsibilities you have, the unique season of life you're in, what are you not going to do for the next six months? 
What do you uniquely need to do to make the maximum impact with your time? And how much do you want left over at the end of your day? See, I have enormous creative output that my job requires, and I love it. And I hope, as much as I made fun of the fact that I work once a week, that I don't work one day a week. And I hope you feel that in the messages. We put on original ideas with original content. There's no place we're getting this stuff. We create this from start to finish, from logos to, to final completion, with set builds and drama scripts and video production and everything in between. We work 18 months in advance. That's enormous creative output that comes from our team and from me. And I have a special needs son. And a special needs child, the divorce rate with parents who have special needs children is somewhere around 80%. 80%. And what I knew when we found out we had a special needs child, when I look at the, 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 the challenges and opportunities in my job, I realize I have enormous output. And the way I'm able to do enormous output is by having enormous prioritized inputs in a given day, week, and month. New ideas, fresh ideas, new books new inspiration, going to movies, going to see shows, things to fill my creative bucket. Because in my industry, a typical you know, pastor speaks you know, X amount of times per year, and I speak about two to two and a half times more original messages per year. And that's not like, wow, Chad, okay, you work two days a week. You know, I'm just saying that whatever, whatever your, your industry is, there's going to be outputs required. And if you want to have enormous output that's fresh and it's striking and it gets people's attention, you're going to have to have inputs to keep those buckets full so you can do your best work. Don't you want to do your best work? Not like, well, it's kind of all right, you know, I guess it'll do. You're not going to do your best work if you don't answer those three questions. You're not going to have the best marriage. There's certain things based on the season of responsibilities I have right now that I can't do. There's other things I've got to do or I'm not going to survive. I've got to do or I'm not going to have the best ideas. Three painting lessons. Make the choice today or the choice will be made for you. What things are you not going to paint? Where must you, where must I paint this thing? This is where I've got to be spending my time. And three, how much energy, money, and time do you want left over at the end of the day? I got a chance to talk to my friend Bruce. For the last year, he's been wrestling with... Uh, with some of these decisions. In an industry that's a lot, the 996 industry, just the industry itself did not allow for a lot of a margin. And he made some significant decisions to stay in his industry. But to think about that industry, from if I decide to put margin in place, if I decide to look and answer these three questions, how might it modify or change the way I live my life? So let's hear face-to-face somebody who's done the very thing I talked about in the realm of the medical care. Let's watch. I was working an incredible schedule at work, working 70 to 90 hours per week, and I was trying to volunteer with a number of organizations. And I had to take a bunch of kids up to a wilderness first aid course, and I was up for about 24 straight hours. And I found as I came home with my son from one of the wilderness first aid courses that I was cut off on the road, and I really responded with a lot of fight or flight. There was an altercation on the road, and I ended up getting a ticket. And when I got my ticket, I sat down and I reflected, and I found that I was filling up my schedule as much as I possibly could with every possible task I could, work and play, and I had absolutely no time to rest. As a result, I found I had no time to recharge. I've had no time for any kind of 
relaxation at all. I found that I had almost no time to enjoy a spiritual life, no time to have a quiet time during the day, no time to pray, and no time to really enjoy church. So as I reflected on that, I decided I had to make some changes. And those changes included getting out of a weekend call schedule that would keep me away from church, prioritizing the kind of time that I spent with my family by reducing the actual work time during the day, and volunteering far less with other organizations. I was partnering with other people on the weekends who didn't know their patients very well and who were prescribing a lot of addictive drugs. I found that my weekends were being filled with cross coverage for medical care that I didn't agree with. In addition, it was very disruptive and I found that it was keeping me away from being a member of a church and from serving my family the way I wanted to serve. Well, I found that when I eliminated my weekend call that I became a much happier person, but I also found that the business of the practice itself actually expanded, and I wasn't burned out during the week. The patients were much more satisfied. The numbers of patients I was able to see during the office hours were much higher, so by not filling up my schedule as much, giving myself enough time to relax and recharge on the weekends, I found that the patient care was much better and that I actually became much more financially successful. As I looked at what the Bible was showing me and a lot of the mistakes I'd made with, with for instance, you know, overscheduling myself, I found that as I looked at guidance from the Bible and I tried to say, I'm going to put God first, I'm going to put my marriage first. And the really big thing was putting my wife's happiness first. And that actually all of these other blessings came to me. And sometimes I'm standing back and I'm stunned by how well I'm doing. And I'll sit there and I'll say, how could this be this good? How possibly could we be doing so well? When I made time for God and I made time for my family, that's when all the blessings came back to me. And that's what I want for you. I want you to have energy at the end of your day and your week for yourself, for God, for your marriage. I want you to have time to rest, to enjoy, and to work hard. I want you to have money. And I want you money that you can enjoy, not that creates worry or creates burden in your life. And that's why we've done this in this series. That's why we create you know, apps that you can watch the services. So if you can't make it on a weekend, you can watch it. Or you can, if you come on the weekends, you need an extra spiritual surge, you can watch our other service, totally different service, our equipping service during the week as a, another input for you. We want to help fill you up. We want to comfortably connect you to God by filling you up with wisdom to help make the decisions that give you the best kind of life. Jesus came and he said this. Here's Jesus' mission statement. I've come to give you life and life more abundant. That's his mission statement. was give me rules and tell me all the stuff I can't do. No, Jesus wants you to have the best kind of life and we do too. So can I pray that over you as you're wrestling with those three questions? That as you continue in this series, you will find the best kind of life. Father, thank you for each person here. God, we just, we know the pressure of unlimited demand. And Father, we sit here with limited resources even though our resources may be much bigger than others. Father, help us to be wise, to make the most of every opportunity, to redeem or buy back the time around us, to leverage it for maximum impact. We're running a marathon, not a sprint, Father. For each person here, will you give them a vision of how their life, their career, their time management, their life management could bring about more joy to themselves and others? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you next week as we talk about time for relationships as well. Thanks so much.